Hello friends, it is I, the Poptimist, Taylor Berryman, on Instagram as the underscore Poptimist. That's where you can find me, my music, whatever content I'm posting for the show, all that good stuff. By the way, come catch me this Saturday night, April 23rd, with Violet Moons over at the East Room. It'll be a great time. I, I don't know who else is on the bill. I should, I should probably know that, but it'll be a good show anyway. I mean, Violet Moons, how can you go wrong? Today, I want to do something a little bit different. I want to talk about sales, business, all of that stuff. So if you're not interested in any of that, turn this episode off. I'll give you a minute. Okay, now that all the losers are gone, let's talk about sales. Why do I like sales? Something about being a salesman feels illegal. Like it isn't supposed to be a profession. Sales is the nature of life and the natural state of the jungle. Sales is rarely logic-based. People buy with emotion. No one wants to be sold, but everybody wants to buy. Do they need a car? Maybe. Do they want a new car? Definitely. Dating, job interviews, the journey you take in life are all sales-based. But you have to be able to back it up with what you promise. There are plenty of bad salespeople out there. They will lie and cheat and steal from their own grandmother to get a millimeter ahead. And they do it to get ahead. It's a struggle for me personally to watch someone mislead another human being for their own gain. My ego takes over and I get righteous. And I guess in terms of music, we are salespeople. At the end of the day, we all have a product that we're looking to hawk. And a lot of people are going to say it's for the art, man. And it's true. It is for the art. But that is a separate process from the sales process. I think the creative process should be completely isolated to where you're not thinking about any of this stuff. But when you have something to sell, like a song, an album, whatever it is, you have to wear a different hat. It's business. And a lot of musicians aren't business savvy. Because it's tough. It's uncomfortable to try and sell yourself. I know that's something I really struggled with in the beginning when I was a salesman. When I first started off as a salesman, I guess it was probably a retail job, but I didn't even understand that's what I was doing. When I was 19, I was working at a grocery store called Shaw's where I was a cashier. Depending on the season, there were different promotions for donations like Thanksgiving, whatever it is. Um... I was aggressive with getting donations in five, 10, 20 dollar amounts. I mean, a dollar was what we were aiming for. I always wanted more than that. I shook people down as I rang them up. They would always say no, and I always push back. I'd start high and work my way down to a dollar. So I'd ask them, "Do you want?" Would you like to make a donation today for 20 dollars?" And most people are going to say no. They're going to be like, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. There's going to be other people that are like, yeah, just because you asked them, they're going to say yes. 
but most people are going to say no. So from there, you, I would just lower my number. Okay, what about $10? And they would still say no. What about $5? And they might start getting frustrated, a little bit angry. Then I would go in for the kill. Okay, how about a dollar? And I could stop asking. And they, most people would go for that, um, which is funny because like, I think about now how much money in a tax write-off I was able to give Shaw's when I work there because that's all those fucking donations are. Yes, they're for charity and it's for good things and all of that. But at the end of the day, I just see that as a, a tax write-off for corporations. And at this time, I had no idea about sales or what anything was, but people would always laugh whenever I kept going, you know, they would, they would start to, to chuckle at me continuing to ask them after every no. And it was the same thing too. When I worked at Staples, we had to sell these protection plans. I started off at Staples as a, uh, just like a, a shelf stalker during back to school season. I had just gotten back from Colorado. I spent my entire time there stoned um, the only time I wasn't stoned when I was at work, but I was kind of perma-stoned when you're smoking weed that much and it's really strong medical grade shit. And eventually I became an easy tech, which I, I am not good with technology at all. So it's kind of funny to look back on that and think, yeah, they, they let me do that. Um, so it was my job to do like intakes for technology um, and then it was also my job to ring people up because it's really just like glorified cashier. I was just doing intakes because I didn't have the skill. I made maybe an extra dollar an hour or something like that as an easy tech. But we had these protection plans that people could buy, which all it really was was like maybe for like 10 or $20, you could buy this protection plan. And if anything went wrong with it, you could call this company and they would fix it for you. And if they couldn't fix it, they would replace it in X amount of time. So it was like, I think maybe a two year extended warranty or some shit like that. And I don't think I made any money off of those either. I just wanted to be number one. I wanted to be the one every single month that was selling these plans and it became a joke at one point while I was working there that I was selling these protection plans on these fucking $60 printers, you know, like a $60 printer is going to last you a week and a half, you know, just like some bullshit HP one. Um, but what eventually started happening was I had customers coming in and they told me you should work at BEK. Have you ever considered working there? And in one ear and out the other, I heard this multiple times from customers and I didn't give a fuck. I was like, I work at Staples. I don't need another job. But eventually for whatever reason, I think I, I had emailed them and was like, Hey, someone, or maybe someone gave me the email. It was so long ago. I can like, my memory is so hazy because of the amount of weed I, I had smoked. But eventually, yeah, I, I did reach out to them and said, hey, I, I would love to, to chat with you about working here because at the end of my time in Colorado, I realized I needed some kind of trade or skill. 
and I thought maybe I'll do IT. And I had bought like the A plus book, which is like for IT testing and all this different shit, but I hate studying. I hate having to like sit there and read about something that I, that's just boring and dry and all this shit. I was like, I would rather just go work somewhere and they teach me shit and I fuck up a bunch of shit and then I can learn. Um, so eventually I did get to BEK. I went on a job interview there and I met with the owner, the COO who basically like, handled all the all the text and everything like that i mean the owner was very involved and then the hr person and we were all sitting there and they were just talking to me and they were asking how i heard about them why i was interested in it and i told them uh edward snowden i was like i'm interested because of security whatever and it's true i was i I am interested in technology but it's more so like i just don't know how it works i I probably know a little bit more than I actually think I know, but that was the beginning of me working at this company, and I was an intern there for probably about six months or so, and I was going out on, like, IT calls, you know, some, someone would break their shit at a, at a dentist office or somewhere like that, and I would go in and chat with whoever was working there I really didn't learn much like I was basically the gopher which I was I was happy to do Um, and I think that the clients really liked me and that and they they gave positive reviews to um, to the owner and all of that so six months goes by whatever it was and the HR person asked me hey, are you interested in shadowing our copier salesman? And I was like, yeah, I'm interested because I I just said yes to everything. Anything that they had asked me, I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Uh, Even if I couldn't do it or I didn't know how. And it was with uh, this guy, Kevin. Kevin was a good guy. I really liked him. He was my first interaction with like a professional salesman. We get into his company car, which was pretty nice. It was some kind of GMC SUV. It was navy blue. And he just told me straight out, he said, sales is awesome. He said, you're the hero of the company and you do the least amount of work. So we went out. He was cold calling. I was basically just like watching him, whatever. And I would go in. He's like, go talk to these people. I, I didn't know what I was doing. I would just go in and be like, hi. And they would be like, hi. And I wouldn't know what to say, you know, especially if it was like a pretty girl or some shit like that. Um, but we got to stop for lunch. And we got to like, if I wanted like a cherry Coke or something like that from the gas station, we could just stop at the gas station. Kevin told me if you have other errands, like personal errands to run, if you're a salesman, you can run them, which... Technically, you're probably not supposed to do, but every fucking sales job, that's the way it is. Like, a salesman fucks off for the first two weeks of the month, and then the last two weeks, they're actually working, trying to hit their numbers, whatever. At least uh, I did as a young and lazy salesman. 
There's a book I want to read from today called The 25 Sales Skills They Don't Teach You at Business School by Stephen Schiffman. I think this is a great book. I picked it up from McKay's. I was just kind of thumbing through it while I was there, and I thought some of these things in this book really translate to being a musician because you're constantly having to sell yourself. Are you wanting to network with people? Are you wanting to grow relationships that can help in your career? And that all comes down to, to sales and being able to read people. Reading people is essential. Listening is the most important thing I think you can do is ask a question and shut up. So let me get into this book a little bit. The first skill I want to talk about says skill one, beware of bad advice on the internet. And I know you're probably listening to this thinking, no shit, Sherlock. Moaning and groaning, everybody knows that. They do. We all do. But many musicians fall prey to talking with people who are just looking for their money and they're very predatory. You know the ones I'm talking about. They're all over town. They're going to try and steal your gigs. They're going to find out how many followers you have. Whatever it is, they just want to take your money or find out if there's someone that you know that they can network with. You are only as valuable to them as what you can provide for them. Okay, so I'm an idiot. I just realized that my microphone wasn't plugged in. Uh, I got it fixed, though, so I'm just going to keep going and rolling with it because I feel like I got some momentum now. But this book I've been reading, The 25 Sales Skills They Don't Teach You in Business School, first skill is beware of bad advice on the Internet. What does that mean? I'm so glad you asked. Let me read a little bit of, of this here. And this is where you can get yourself into trouble. Too many sales gurus, quote unquote, use their sites to dispense advice that can sabotage the job of building a relationship with your prospect. What does that mean? Okay, sales gurus. Perhaps someone has approached you to explain that you should pay them to help get Spotify plays. That's a common ploy. That they know the ins and outs of Spotify and all the playlists you need to get on. Which, if they did, why would they be asking you for money to explain that to you? I guess that's a whole other topic we can go on. But how can that sabotage you with a prospect? What is a prospect to a musician? I think it could be a lot of things. It can be a potential business uh, partner, maybe a future band member, a producer, a, a music listener, a fan. Bad advice. Don't work with the prospect to develop a plan that makes sense. Instead, use pressure tactics. A site we vi visit, visited encouraged salespeople to ask this question, when face-to-face -face with a hesitant contact. Now, don't you agree that this product can help you out or would be a benefit to you? Ouch. A better approach would be to ask, what exactly are you trying to get accomplished in this area? 
So with music, I mean, it's, it's art at the end of the day, so that doesn't really apply to listeners. But you got to think, like, if you are a session musician or a sideman, I've witnessed other people who are trying to be sidemen and play with different artists in town do this. They'll insult whoever the current, like, band member is that they're trying to replace and tell someone tell whoever's band it is or who they perceive to be the decision maker while they're not good. What you're really doing is insulting that person's choice in musician and saying it's not valid. It doesn't work out. All the person ends up thinking is, wow, this guy's a fucking dick. I never want him to play in my band. You know, it's not even an option. So you got to think about how you're coming off. Tone is crucial, and it's very important. Now, if I was a sideman, I am a sideman, and they had someone who was going to be leaving the band, the first question I would ask is, what went well that you want to keep going? Um, And typically, they can explain whatever it is, you know, yada, 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 we like that he did this, or she did that, whatever it is. Follow-up question, listen to what they're saying, kind of repeat it back to them, reiterate. Your follow-up question should be, what could they have done better? And then, boom, the floodgates open. Is that a little bit of a probing question? Yeah, it can be, but most of the time, even in the bands that I've played in, I'm I'm sure there's people that are like, well, Taylor could do this differently or do this better. Like... No one is ever going to be 100% what someone needs. But we get what you got to do is you got to hit about 7 out of 10 of those. Hopefully that makes sense. Bad advice. Find the pain. Several sites we encountered advise salespeople to use questions to plant subliminal hints designed to get prospects to reveal that they actually hate their current vendor. Example, do you also worry about How tough a position does that put you in? Instead of trying to find the pain, which may or may not exist, salespeople should focus on finding out what the prospect actually does. So to kind of piggyback off of what I was saying, um, what could they do better? The floodgates open, yes. But what you shouldn't be doing is dismissing whatever it is they're currently working on. People take their art very personally. If you are a creative type, you're probably sensitive, Um, as am I. I am a creative type. I try and be thoughtful about the things that I make and what what I'm putting out there into the world. You're putting out a, a piece of yourself. The best way to destroy your chances of playing with a band and with musicians, I think, is to act directly. And this is our to, to not ask directly. For a long time, I wanted to play with Violet Moons, but I knew that there was a bunch of dudes beating down their doors saying, oh, I want to help you. Oh, I can help you do this. Oh, I can help you do that. Women face a unique set of challenges being a musician um, in mostly a male-dominated scene, you know, especially like the East Nashville scene. It's mostly, mostly dudes. So I didn't want to be another dude 
trying to force my way in. Um, and I had a, a loose friendship with Aubrey and Kira each, but it definitely got a lot stronger after we, we shared that bond of playing music together. And I wanted to really play with them. But I knew I had to be patient, and if the opportunity arose, the, the time would come. And it just kind of happened naturally. So I think in terms of music, when you're playing with musicians, that's a little bit different versus you trying to set up a meeting with a, a business person, like a music business person. Bad advice, always be closing. This outdated maxim showed up as a constructive advice on more than one of the sales sites we visited, as did a number of any manipulative closing tricks, air quotes, that will quickly destroy emerging relationships. More pragmatic advice, always be asking questions. At the conclusion of an in-depth information gathering period, which should occupy 70 75% of any sales process, you can present a plan that makes sense to the other person and close by asking, it makes sense to me, what do you think? The bottom line, it's too easy to set up a website. What makes it hard for people to find a good one with relevant, responsible information for salespeople. Beware of the advice you take from the internet. So again, it's a no shit Sherlock thing, but ask questions and listen. And make sure you understand the answers that are given to you. Sometimes you have to read between the lines. I guess in this instance... Don't go to the internet for advice, which is ironic because you're currently using the internet to listen to this. My first sale was with the Maine Pines Racket Club. The owner was Rob Manter. He was a professional tennis player that had retired and set up shop in Brunswick, Maine. It was a training facility where there was a bunch of indoor tennis courts, because of course they have to be indoor because it's Maine and it snows 75% of the fucking year. And there were also there was also like a sauna. I think there might have been a pool, but I can't remember that. But I had been going to Maine Pines and meeting with Rob and kind of being the liaison as an IT intern. I always had uh, an actual tech there with me who knew what they were doing, but I was kind of the one who was talking to Rob. And he would ask me questions, and if he asked me, I would just straight up tell him, I don't know, I don't have the answer for that. But the... I could go to the sales or the, uh, the IT tech and bring them in and have them answer any questions he had. At this point, they had a failing server, which runs, of course, if you know anything about uh, technology, that runs a whole network. So all of the computers, the way they take in money, the way they schedule appointments, manage their finances, it's everything in a business, uh, technology. And this particular day, I had gone in with a sales proposal, which I didn't even know was a sales proposal. I was kind of afraid because I knew I was supposed to be 
bringing this in. And, and Rob knew he needed a new server. Um, but I gave him the sales proposal and said, this is how much it's going to be for this. This is how much it's going to be for our services. And he said something that I didn't expect. Perfect. Let me grab my checkbook. I was shocked in the moment. Um, I don't even think I had gone out with Kevin yet to start doing the copier stuff. Maybe I had. It, it's all kind of hazy. I, I can't remember the, the timeline perfectly. But, yeah, so um, I was supposed to be back at the office because there was an important meeting that my boss told me I had to be at. I think it was maybe 10.30 or something like that. He's like, be back by 10.30. So I wasn't back by 10.30, which it wasn't my fault because the, the tech was kind of there dragging his feet a little bit and getting chatty and just working on things that weren't crucial to that moment and he knew I was supposed to be back because we rode over together but the good news is I came back with a check in hand and if you're gonna be late come back with a check or bring donuts this particular meeting that I was late for was with someone I've talked about in the podcast on the podcast in the past his name is Jim McCarthy he was the owner of Inner Circle Consulting. He was a business consultant. So basically what a business consultant does is they come in, listen to whatever people, you know, their, their issues are with their business and tries to make it more efficient. And he trains salespeople. So as a young salesman, I didn't even know I was a salesman yet. I didn't even get the concept of the fact that I had just made a sale. I just knew I did something good. Someone gave me a check. That was all I really understood. I was like a dog that goes and takes a shit out on the lawn for the first time versus the carpet. But I was intimidated as soon as I walked into this room after I was riding this high of the sales, of the, of the first sale. And Jim addresses the fact that I was late right away. And he asked me, like, what's your name? And I said, hi, I'm Taylor. And then he asked me another question. I don't remember what he asked me. And I just said, hi, I'm Taylor again. And my voice cracked. I was afraid to talk in front of a room full of people that were all, that, like, maybe the second person closest in my age was someone eight or nine years older than me, like late 20s, early 30s at that point. And when... That's your frame of reference, like, 29 seems like it's 50. You know, you, you, you don't have any concept yet. It, it seems like a grown-up. It seems like a grown-up to me. So it was me, the other salesman, Kevin, the owner, Gil, the COO, David, and the HR person, Bonnie. And we were all in the room. And Jim was just talking about Sun Tzu and the art of war and how it translates to business, all this stuff that I never really heard of before. And at the time, I, I probably thought, fuck Jim McCarthy. Why do I give a fuck? I don't give a fuck about any of this shit. You know, I, I didn't understand that, a, that sales is a craft you have to develop. You know, it's not just like, you're talking, and that's it. 
it is you you go out on a fact finding mission to really understand what someone's company is trying to do and how you can help them. I think I was attracted to the idea of being a salesman in the beginning because I was like, this is not a job. And to some degrees, it, it, it isn't. It, you're just driving around and talking to people, but you have to be able to listen. And that was one thing that Jim always tried to drill into me because I would cut people off. I would just talk over them. Which, to be honest, you know, I think there's a lot of salespeople that do that, especially a lot of young salespeople. But you have two ears and one mouth for a reason, and that is to listen, says the guy behind the microphone. Skill number two, use company events to move the relationship forward. It's part of the sales landscape. A law as dependable as gravity. No matter how effective, persuasive, or experienced a sales given salesperson is, some percentage of that person's promising leads will turn into opportunities. These are static contacts that aren't moving through the sales process and can't be counted on to provide income, at least for the time being. The question really isn't whether contacts fall into the opportunity category, but what steps to take when they do. How do you reignite interest and generate activity within your list of cold prospects? Canadian sales representative Gino Set came up with an interesting strategy. Gino decided to write a letter to every prospect who decided not to buy from him over a given period. Basically, the letter said this. It was a pleasure meeting you a while back to talk about what your company was doing. Even though we were unable to move forward at the time, I'm still thinking about you. Gino then invited each cold contact to sit in at one of his company's upcoming events. This will give you an opportunity to evaluate firsthand how applicable what we do is to your business environment, he wrote. Attached is a list of all my upcoming trainings where my clients have approved outside observers. I've also included a brief description of the programs. Okay. So how does this translate to the music world? I think one great way it translates is shows. You have a built-in event to always invite someone to, and if you are playing music in a musical area, such as Nashville, then You have friends who are playing shows as well. If you are trying to make some kind of business arrangement with someone, I would suggest not inviting them out to your show, but to a friend show on neutral ground for a first meeting. You can invite them to another show if they seem to have really enjoyed themselves and you're trying to figure it out. If you can work together or not, then invite them out to one of your shows. If you've qualified them as a quote-unquote prospect. And that can be any number of things. Maybe it's someone who works at a record label. Or maybe it is a person who works at uh, a bar that you're trying to get in to play at. So you have to use different strategies that are going to make you stick out. I think... Handwritten notes in general are an excellent strategy. 
thank you notes. Like if someone were to come out to your show um, and they turn you down, they say, hey, we're not really yada, yada, whatever it is, write them a note. Thanks for coming out. Hope we can work together in the future. Let me know if there's ever anything I can need, uh, anything I can do for you. Skill number three, stop spinning your wheels with people who really don't want to work with you and start following the yes. First and foremost, let's define what we mean by prospect. A prospect is someone who is willing to take an active step demonstrated by a specific time commitment to talk seriously about the possibility of working with you. That's an extremely important definition. Do yourself and your career a favor. Commit it to memory. I think it's like this with dating, too. It's not just like, like that with, with business. You have, if, you're, if you're looking to go out with someone, you ask them, hey, are you interested in getting together at this time, this place, whatever, and they kind of just like brush you off. They're waiting to see if someone else asks them to do something better. And if that's the case, just walk away. The most effective salespeople learn to spot people who aren't giving them a clear yes answer to follow and distinguish those people from the rest of the world. The trick is to understand that the relevant yes answers take many important forms before the close, but virtually always include some kind of time commitment. Okay, and you're asking me, Taylor, what are these steps? What do you have to do? It's outlined in this book. Step one, make a habit of throwing out the ball, suggesting a next step to a number of people each and every day. So I'm going to put a pause on that for a second and talk about something that Jim McCarthy tried to get me to do. He had a client, this restaurant, that we all ate lunch at one day. And there was a very cute bartender who worked there. And Jim was like, you should go ask her out. And he was really egging me on, trying to get me to, to ask this girl out. And I was not down to cold approach. A girl that I'd never talked to or seen before. Um, and I just thought she was pretty. And he was even like, yo, she's pretty, isn't she? And I was, I was like, yeah, she's pretty. I was too scared to, to ask her out. And he knew that. And the whole thing that he was trying to do was to get me to go out of my comfort zone. It's easy in life to fall into a place of complacency. Okay, back to step one. If you're uncertain of what your target number should be, read cold calling techniques that really work or take DEI's course in appointment making. That's just another book he has. Either way, you'll work through the numbers thoroughly to set your daily prospecting goals. Throwing out the ball might sound like this. I'd love to get together with you to talk about what we've done with XYZ Company. Can we meet Tuesday at 3 at your office? So what is it that you are currently trying to do? Maybe you're getting ready to release some music. Um, maybe you need a website done. Um, maybe you're the one who's looking for services. But either way, that's still a sales call. Step two, learn to distinguish sounds like yes answers from actual yes answers. 
Actual yes answers are one in which the person agrees to a clear next step with you, complete with date and time that's scheduled for the near future, typically within the next two weeks. Actual yes answers could sound like this. You, can we get together Wednesday at 2 o'clock to talk about, to talk about this further? Prospect, Wednesday's no good for me. What about Friday morning? Or they could sound like this. You, why don't you and I meet with your supplier next week to set up a plan? Prospect, you know what? That's a great idea. When are you free? Step three, treat everything that's not an actual yes as though it were an actual no. Okay, put a pause on it again. This is important with dating. Only date the people who actually want to date you. If someone is giving you the runaround and you're not really sure and they haven't been direct with you, don't fuck with it. Walk away. Because they're going to they're gonna keep waiting, you know. You, you'll be their back burner until something better comes along. And no one should be treated that way. Back to the book. Here's the really critical point. Stop wasting time with people who are not actually moving through the sales process with you. So even if the person says, call me sometime next month, we put that person lower on the priority list than someone who says, let's talk next Monday at 2 o'clock. The bottom line, invest your time wisely, move on to someone new, and stop spinning your wheels. Skill four. Harness the power of I didn't anticipate that. The most successful salespeople work from the principle that all responses are anticipated. So in life and in sales, you're going to get a lot of objections where people are just saying no to you. Sometimes no means no. Sometimes no doesn't mean no. You have to figure out why you're getting a no. And what does it mean to anticipate uh, all responses? I think that can truly only come with experience in life. As you've been rejected enough times and you've heard plenty of rejections, you have to have the courage to ask why. Here's a great example. Consider the following. Alan, a young sales representative in the telecommunications industry, meets with Bill, a middle-aged MIS director at a Fortune 100 company. At the end of a good first meeting, Alan says to the prospect, I'd like to get together with you again so I can show you a preliminary proposal, an outline of what we might be able to do for you. Why don't we set a meeting for next Tuesday at 3 o'clock? And then the roof seems to fall in. Alan, Bill says, it's been nice talking to you, and you're certainly working on some interesting projects, but let me save us both some time. I've been in charge of telecom here for 15 years, and I have a pretty good idea of what your company has to offer. I really don't think there's a match here, but if you want to, you can go ahead and mail your information to me, and I'll call you back if I'm interested. And what happens whenever someone gives you an objection like that, is they ain't going to call you back. You have to find out why. Suppose Alan were to try and explain why he wanted to outline preliminary proposal. That would be perfect for Bill's organization. How would that go over? More than likely, Bill would get annoyed. 
He might even suggest that Allen do a little more homework about his industry before attempting to continue the conversation. But consider another approach, one that emphasizes Allen's experience in the world of sales, levels the playing field, and points the relationship in a positive direction. Okay, let's put a pause break right there for a second. This is a classic objection. It sounds to me like Bill likes Allen, and he might even like the product that he's offering. But Allen has to find out why. Suppose that when Bill puts up the roadblock by saying something like, go ahead and mail me information instead, Alan looks a little startled. There's a brief pause. Then Alan says, gee, I really didn't anticipate you would say that. What happens next? 95 times out of 100, if Alan says that and stops talking, a.k.a. shuts up and waits for the other person to say something, Bill will ask a neutral question, like, really, why not? Suddenly, the playing field is level. Alan can now say, well, frankly, our conversation was going well. I really expected a different outcome. Can you help me out? Should I have done something differently here? The beauty of this approach is that despite your admission of being surprised, you are actually confirming the principle that all responses are anticipated. In fact, you have just positively influenced what will happen next in the relationship by saying, I didn't anticipate that. You'll usually get a much better information, get much better information about where exactly you stand with the prospect. And that's what you want, the right information. For instance, in this scenario, Bill might say, well, the truth is, Alan, we have to deal with an an urgent project right now, and I can't even think about making any major telecom decision this quarter alan might reply okay when do you think you will be ready to continue our discussion so basically what this is saying by admitting that you didn't anticipate that you actually are showing that you did anticipate that and the person is gonna let you off the hook because you are like sometimes in sales And again, in life, things are uncomfortable and you have to find out how to reach this other person and how to get them on your level. You don't want things to feel like either person has the upper hand. If anything, you want the other person to believe they have the upper hand. Using this skill is part of a larger process I call getting righted. It's one of the most important and most frequently overlooked steps in selling. If I say I didn't anticipate that you would say that, what I'm really saying is, help me out. I must have missed something. Tell me where I went wrong. In fact, I can use exactly those kind of words to ask overtly for guidance from the prospect. I can also take advantage of the prospect's natural instinct to correct me by stating something I suspect isn't true and watching carefully for the reaction I get. Recently, I was training a large group of representatives who worked in communications industry. During the question and answer session, one of them said to me, we never seem to get the information from the people we visit. They find direct questions intrusive. What's the best way to get someone to open up to you? I told him, make a mistake. What Stephen is saying here is it makes you seem human and you don't seem like such a big, bad salesperson 
and you're able to get righted. So you can build in some kind of mistake, something that's like 90% of the way there with something that's just a little bit off that you're unsure about. And the person will give you the information that you're looking for. If you build a mistake into your question, I said, the other people's instinct will be to automatically correct you. By allowing yourself to be righted, you will get the right information and the other person will be in a position of strength. The conversation will flow naturally because you have allowed the other person to be correct. And this is human nature. And there's a lot of people that hate salesmen and they think they're oh so manipulative, whatever, which maybe to a certain degree is true. But at the end of the day, if you're looking to actually help someone, like when I was a salesman, I, I wanted to help people. You know, I just didn't want to screw them and take their money or whatever. That's not how you build a relationship with someone and how you win your business, how you win at business. You might be able to get away with that, but you're going to have a lot of one and dones. You do have to ask directly for what you want in a subtle way. You can't flat out just beat someone over the head. I, I mean, there's a million examples I can think of of someone just reaching into someone else's pocket to try and get a gig. We see it all too often. And everybody knows the guys that do that and how it puts you in an awkward position. You can smell it from a mile away. Skill nine, when in doubt, ask for the appointment. You can make an argument that the people who do that, they do get further ahead, but they're not really usually the types that are good at building a relationship. If you want something, you have to ask for it directly. It's become something of a running joke around our office. I always put calls on speakerphone so people can hear how callers will do everything except ask for a meeting. Everyone on my staff knows that all the salesperson has to do is suggest a date and time. I'll say yes. But for some reason, the salespeople I speak to have a very hard time actually suggesting an appointment. It takes balls to do it. And it's uncomfortable. Because at the end, you might face rejection. Someone who doesn't want you. Someone who is not interested in whatever it is that you have. And it's uncomfortable. But you just have to keep moving forward. Rejection, rejection is a natural part of life. And truthfully, it's the most frequent part of life. Think about it in baseball terms, okay? In baseball, if you get... Three hits out of ten. And you end up with a, a 300 career batting average. You're potentially a Hall of Fame player. What happens those other seven times? You strike out. You ground out to second. You fly out. The odds are against you always. You just have to keep pushing forward. You're going to hear no in life. Skill 10. 
don't try to close. The best closing technique is drum roll, not having one. People talk a lot about closing in sales. Our real objective, though, should not be to close a sale based on what we imagine the other person needs, but to get people to use our service forever because doing so makes sense to them. So how is this a salesperson's job? A big part of it is the interviewing process, the fact-finding process. You have to know how to ask the right questions. A lot of times in business, people just want to show up, ask what, they're, what you're doing right now, and then sell based on that. In in the uh, nutshell, that is what the sales process is. But most of the time, there's a lot more intricacies. And if you keep asking questions and keep talking to your prospect, you can really dig in to find out if there are other opportunities for you to potentially increase the sale. So how do we come up with a plan that makes sense? Many sales reps simply guess. They cover their eyes and hope they will come up with something that matches what the prospect is actually doing. Sometimes what they propose matches. Most of the time it doesn't. Let's leave dishonest closing maneuvers out of the picture entirely because they have less to do with selling than they do with swindling. The question I'd like to put on the table is, can someone eventually sell something using manipulative or high-pressure closing techniques, like the old classic? Here's a pen. Press hard when you sign the contract. You're making three copies. Sure, in fact, our experience is that you will sell one-third of all prospects you meet with, no matter what they do, simply because you go out and see enough people. In other words, a good many salespeople sell without gathering a great deal of meaningful information simply because they show up at the right time. The fancy closing strategy they use is more or less meaningless. By the same token, one-third of customers who could come your way will decide not to work with you, no matter what you do. You lose those accounts simply because the competition is there ahead of you or because of other problems you can't overcome. When we step back to look at those two potential segments of our customer base, we realize that one-third is still up for grabs. That's the third that we have to concentrate on. That's the third in which our actions can affect the outcome. The aim is to develop a plan that will make sense to the other person because we want to win as many of those top third sales as we possibly can. But we can't build up that plan unless we understand what they are trying to do. So what is the ideal selling process? One, opening, qualifying. Is there a fit here? Two, information gathering, interviewing. How can we help you? Three, presentation, sharing the plan based on what we've learned makes sense to the other person, which means that this is what we can do for you. Four, closing. Reaching the point at which the other person agrees to use our product or service. The second step, the interview step, is the make or break part of the relationship. 
That's where we gather information that allows us to put together the right plan. Everything else in the relationship hinges on the questions that we ask at that point. The bottom line, don't imagine you know what the other person needs. Instead, focus your attention on gathering facts so that you can build a plan that makes sense based on what he or she is doing. The only other thing I would add to the sales process, I would add a fifth step, and that would be ask for a referral. So after you close, you get the sale, and you perform the service, circle back around, thank them for their business, and then ask, do you know anybody else who could use our services? And again, it's, it's a ratio, numbers game, whatever you want to call it. There's going to be people that say yes, going to be people that say no. But the thing is about referrals is that it can lead you to more business, and it's a warm call. Because then you could bring someone up or send them an email and say, hey, I got your contact info from so-and-so over at XYZ. We just finished up this project with them. They said I should reach out to you. And then you can go from there. Man, oh, man, I was long-winded today, wasn't I? I, uh, I really enjoy talking about business and sales. It's something that I haven't been able to do in a while, um, but I think it directly translates to being an entrepreneur and a self-employed person and just doing your own thing in general. So again, the book I was reading from today is The 25 Sales Skills They Don't Teach You at Business School by Stephen Schiffman. So go check it out. Come see me on Saturday night with Violet Moons. It's bound to be a fun time. And uh, yeah, I'll see you next week. Thank you.